and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. I am Michael Gordon Bennett, and I am joined, as always, by the man from Barbados via the Big Apple, Dave Cumberbatch. Dave, why don't you just jump right in and tell our audience what they can expect from today's show? Well, our guest today is somewhat of a trailblazer. She has a very interesting story to tell sharing some of her extraordinary experiences as well. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, before I get into introducing our guest, I just want to remind all of you that uh, if you want to appear on TripCast 360 or if you just have a really great travel story you want to share with us, you can uh, contact us via email at contact at tripcast360.com. This podcast, like all of our other podcasts, are available on all of your favorite social media, or I'm sorry, all of your favorite podcasting outlets, iTunes, YouTube, or iTunes. YouTube has an excerpt, Spotify, Google Podcasts, we're, we're everywhere. So just uh, follow us wherever you'd like. And also don't forget to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we will start uh, gathering uh, people to sign up for our newsletter. So uh, please uh, follow us and subscribe to us and like us and do all those great things that we normally do in the online world. And with that... I am going to jump right in and introduce our guest for today. Her name is Monica Iroski. I told you I'd mess it up, Monica. Monica Iroski, <laughs> she's the co-founder along with her husband, Jose, of Yampu Tours. Monica is an expert in family travels, always bringing her kids along for the journey. Monica is the authority at designing themed itineraries, including culinary, spiritual, adventure, experiential, Girls trips, which we will talk about, sightseeing tours to places all over the world. Monica, welcome to TripCast 360. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking to you guys today. Well, I'll tell you, Monica, we're all excited about having you as well. Tell us about your company, Yampu Tours, and where does that name come from? Well, when my husband and I started the business, we started as Contiki, and it was named after the Thor Hedridial, um book uh, about an expedition between Peru and Easter Island on a raft uh, made of reed. And the raft actually was made in uh, Bolivia, in Lake Titicaca, out of the reed that they made used to make their boats and their islands and their homes. And this boat um, was the raft used in the book. And so our name was Contiki for about 10 years. And we would go to travel shows. And people were getting us confused with Contiki with the sea. <laughs> and we were very different companies. So we felt like we needed to change our name and rebrand in order to um, distinguish ourselves. So Yampu is the name of the boat that was in the uh, Contiki book and the expedition and um, the, the boat that was built in Lake Titicaca. It's the Keshwa name for that boat, for that raft. And so it's all about the journey. Yeah. Tell us about the company and what the company does. 
So Yelp Tours um, customizes trips for our clients uh, all around the world to places that we vetted, um, experiences that we vetted, and we do everything for the client. So the client comes to us, basically they just tell us where they want to go, what they like, and we match them with the perfect, all the perfect products and experiences for them. So I always say, you know, we're not um, trying to fit people into our cookie cutter trips we're we're planning the trip around the people that's what we do how has it been going in 2020 i mean you know sometimes i i just want to crawl under a rock because there never seems to be any positive news are people traveling are they booking with you now for the future are they traveling now how how is your business evolving because of covid well, this is this has been the most the worst year of our lives, you know, and um, but we have the greatest clients. So when it first hit, um, everyone rescheduled. So they, a lot of people are rescheduled for 2021. We even have some people calling back and saying, "Hey, let's just move it out to 2022." So that's what happened with all of the clients that we've been working on on the last year. Um, no, we're not. I'm booking a lot of travel right now. We have what I call the addicted travelers who are trying to get out of their houses and go places now. And so we're working for the addicted people. Um, but, you know, we've never had a slow season because we sell the whole world. So when it's good in South America, it might not be good in Asia. When it's good in, you know, Africa, it might not be good in South America. So we've always had always been super, super busy, never had time to slow down. So what we've been doing is there's a lot of places that we sell that weren't even on the website because nobody ever had time. Um, so we're, we're putting all those trips together, putting them on the website. Um, we, I've been building a travel school to teach other people to do what I do and to make a living out of travel. Um, so, and that kind of seems counterintuitive because who wants to learn how to do a business that's not selling anything right now, <laughs> but by the time I get it done, by the time I get it done, I mean, as soon as, as soon as this COVID thing is, is not in the picture anymore. And the, even if it takes another six months or a year, people are dying to get out. I mean, people don't. Everyone that travels with us travels every year, and and these people are dying to go. I mean, I'm dying to leave, you know. I'm dying to go anywhere, you know. I mean, I went to San Diego, which is two hours from here, and that was like the highlight of my my last six months, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, so, you know, people are dying to get out and travel again, and so I want to be ready when, they're, when they come back, you know. So we're building the travel school to help other people do what I do because I have the best career. I mean, I've had the best life. I've had the best 20 years and I'm so grateful. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, we're, we're just able to, to keep working during this time, stay positive because you know what, you can't change things, you know, things are going to be right. what they're going to be. And, you know, I can change myself, you know? And so I've been working on that. We've been working on some, um, uh, bringing some food in from Peru, some superfoods um, to kind of, you know, have another project to work on. So we've been doing that um, and building the website back up and um, building my travel school. And so we're really busy. I, mean, I have still not had time to go out and work out. I'm 
like, gosh, if I'd have, you know, improved my habits three months ago, I'd be skinny by now, you know, <laughs> but I've just been working as hard as I always do, you know, and I was just going to say people are dying to travel. I'm not worried about it. You know, when, when it comes back, it's going to be great. And, um, you know, we have so much research and great ideas and things are changing. And, um, one thing that I do think will happen, I think people will, um, and which I'm really excited about is people going to more out of the way places, getting off the beaten track, you know, going to smaller lodges, nature lodges, you know, um, African safaris, um, you know, going to these small properties where there aren't a lot of people, where they're out in nature, um, you know, and enjoying local cultures. This is what I'm really excited about. I think that, that the clients will be more excited about that when they start traveling again. What kind of clients do you work with and what percentage of them are either referrals or repeats? So about two years ago, um, we stopped most of our online advertising. And so I would say about 95% is repeat and referrals. Because that is our company ethos, is we take such good care of people while they're on a trip, while they're planning the trip, while they're on the trip, and when they come back from the trip, should they have any issues, everything is, is taken care of. So we, we get word of mouth um, referrals. And our clients, almost all of them, travel every single year with us. Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. And it's great because we don't have to spend a lot of – because when we put together an itinerary, I mean, I think we could do an average of probably 10 to 15 hours per client for the whole process. So if you're doing that for someone you don't know – um, that's, that's hard if they don't book. So it's great working with only referrals and repeats. We're very, we have really good clients. We like it that way. Nice. They become part, they become part of the Yampu family. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have this big Yampu family I and mean, we've been it for over 20 years now. So it's, we do have a great like list of people in our database and, um, you know, great clients that, that love us. And so I'd rather spend my time on someone that I know is going to appreciate the service, you know? You'd mentioned just a minute ago uh, something about the Peru cuisine that you were working on. First of all, tell us what your connection to Peru is. Okay, so my husband is from Peru, that he was born in Peru, and Peru was the first country that we sold, and I have been a big advocate of Peruvian food. I spoke about it at travel shows, um, you know, I've done webinars on it, um, I cook Peruvian food myself, I, I go to any Peruvian restaurant we can find, um, my mother-in-law also cooks Peruvian food, and when she comes, I try to cook it for her, so, um, yeah, Peru is our, um, is our, is our baby, and about, I'd say about 40% of our sales are per, tours to Peru, so it's, it's the, the baby of the company, and so when we, when this coronavirus hit, we were like, um, 
we need to do something just in case this lasts for like a year. So we're, we're importing superfoods and I have been playing with recipes and cooking and writing blogs about the food. And um, so if I can't take people to Peru right now, I'm going to bring the food from Peru to them. (laughs) I love your style. I was actually going to ask you if you were going to post some of these recipes, because I think that would be outstanding, you know, just to, you know, just to make people feel good about themselves. You know, food is this universal language. We all get it. Yeah, I uh um, I want my marketing guy wanted to go ahead and post this recipe that I made up that's half Thai, half Peruvian, um, because I've done cooking classes all over the world. It's one of the things that I always do when I travel somewhere. And so I made up this Thai Peruvian superfood salad and he, he loved it. He was like, I want to post this. So yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to hold them off until the products get here. Um, but yeah, um, we're going to be posting those recipes and I'm, I'm still working on designing them. You know, it's been yeah. fun. I mean, if you have to stay home, you know, might as well cook healthy superfoods. Talking about food, that's a good segue right here because I read where you started your company in Peru. You've expanded to Asia. You've expanded to Africa. Um, so many um, different cultures. Those, those cultures vary significantly. Can you share a foodie experience that you've had in either of those countries? Wow, I've had so many. Um well, I just ate a tarantula in um, the Mekong Delta. Really? Did you say a tarantula? <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, no, I'll do anything at cocktail hour. You know? It was... <laughs> Yeah, it was cocktail hour, and they had uh, these tarantulas, you know, they had the drinks flowing, and um, we were on this beautiful cruise, Aqua Expedition to Mekong Delta, and and, um, they were fried, and um, actually, I I only ate the leg, one leg, (laughs) Uh, I didn't eat the whole thing, but... um, I have a video somewhere of uh, one of the guys, the managing director of Aqua Expeditions, you know, showing us how to eat it. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Um, and we had done a lot of markets and that was right before Corona, you know? Um, so I might be looking at these kind of exotic foods a little differently <laughs> going forward. I mean, I've eaten strange things. I've eaten uh, lemon ants off of a tree in the Amazon. Um, we've, I think we ate crickets somewhere. Um, in Peru, they eat guinea pig and llama, um, which I don't know if I had the llama, but I'm pretty sure I had the guinea pig. Um, <laughs> you know, in Peru, yeah, and they have the most beautiful fruits in Peru um, from the Amazon. Um, Lucuma is very popular. They make a lot of desserts out of Lucuma. Um, and uh, Kamu Kamu is a, a, a little seed that, that is um, we're, we're going to start importing the powder because it's full of vitamin C. Um, lots of ceviche. In Peru, we learned how to make ceviche the Peruvian way. And Peruvians are very snobby. I actually like, my husband's going to kill me for saying this, I actually like the Mexican 
um, ceviche better um, because they do the, that with uh, tomatoes and, and cilantro. But the Peruvians is very fine. They, they, they take the fresh fish first thing in the morning. They only eat it at lunchtime. And they soak it in their very strong limes. And they have this beautiful pepper called uh, aji uh, amarillo, which I, I love cooking with. I mean, that that's like the, the best. If you can find a Peruvian supermarket, buy that. And uh, I'll send you recipes. Aji amarillo and a very thinly sliced onions. And that's Peruvian ceviche. Very simple. Maybe I, they might put a little cilantro on the top uh, as a garnish, but very simple. And and only eaten at lunch, which is about two or three hours after the fishes come out of the sea. I actually read your bio, and I know you have an addiction to the foodie experiences when you travel. So uh, I just wanted to ask you, is there any uh, nutritional value in that tarantula leg, or was that just the alcohol <laughs> talking? <laughs> idea. <laughs> I, I'm just asking for a friend. Um. <laughs> probably, you know, probably, you know, I've read articles and I hope it never comes to this, but I've read articles about, you know, someday if we have food shortages, we, we could seriously have to eat insects for protein. Well, I mean, if you go back to our hunter gatherer days, that's what we did. Um, yeah, that was our diet. So. Yeah. So, you know, I, that, so it probably does have a lot of it. I didn't, I didn't research it, you know, because <laughs> remember I was doing this a cocktail hour. So <laughs> as long as my I research was done for the day, <laughs> as long as I don't find it in any of the menus you post online, cause I'm tempted to tr- try some. Uh, I, I have a girlfriend who <laughs> is actually from Spain and her palate is all over the place. She will try anything. And, um, as long as I don't tell her what it is. Oh, that's great. Yeah. The Spanish, they, they're, they're appetizers. Oh, they're tapas, hmm. you know, going out like from place to place and trying all the different tapas is one of my favorite things to do. Oh, trust me. We have a lot of those here in Vegas, much to my surprise. And I think we've probably tried every tapas place in town. And that's saying something. <laughs> that is saying a lot. Um, do you... St- uh, Yampu Tours, do you guys have a specialty in terms of your travel or are you just kind of a global and you'll just kind of do whatever the client wants? Yeah, we, we specialize in exotic destinations that people want to have everything done for them because we do everything, the flights, the, the buses, the car, the drivers, the guides, all the experiences, picking the perfect hotels, uh, lodges, camps. Um, so people are coming to us. So we don't sell a lot of the United States. If you want to go to Vegas, for example, you know, you just book or a beach holiday where you're just going to stay in a hotel. That's not our, um, that's not, you know, we spend a lot of time putting together a really detailed itinerary. So people are coming to us for the more exotic locations. Although we're selling a lot of Europe now, um, which I don't consider exotic, but if you are limited on time and you want it done perfectly, um, then yes, come to us and we'll do it perfectly. We'll send you to the right places. We'll get it done right. Um, you know, because if you go out and do it on your own, sometimes you don't, 
you know, it's a hit or miss whether you get the greatest guide or, you know, the right experience. So um, people are coming to us um, for any, any kind of complicated itinerary where they want to see a lot, they want to do a lot, they want special experiences. About, um, about 2008 or 2010, I made a rule um, for all my staff that every itinerary, no matter what the budget, had to have some kind of local cultural interaction. Because I want people, for example, Peru, most people want to go to see Machu Picchu. That's the first the reason they're going to Peru. I want them to call me because they want to go to Machu Picchu, and I want them to come home saying, I love the people I love this experience. I love the food. I love the nature. You know, so I want them to come home with a whole different reason why they went to Peru than why they originally called me. And that's for every country. So, for example, if they have a really nice budget, we might spend a whole day with a local family, um, learning to cook and learning to weave and maybe volunteering in a school. You know, if they don't have a big budget, if they have a small budget, it might be something as simple as going to the market and having, uh, uh, you know, the guide show, let them taste an exotic fruit you know, and meet some local people that have walked two hours to get to that market, you know, and explaining their story. So every, every itinerary has to have some, some of these little experiences where people are touched by the people of other cultures. What goes into planning a trip? And is it, is, is it based on what, the the group wants or is it a combination of of you sharing you know based on your experience the the type of trip and what is your favorite trip to plan wow um that's going to be hard to name one um so people are calling us for our experience but the first thing we do if we don't know them is talk to them about what they like you know, um, so I want to know how active they are, you know, do they, would they prefer a walking tour or would, do they, do they have limitations and need to be in a van, you know, um, do they like nature or do they like cities, you know, so you have to really get to know, you know, do they want um, the most beautiful hotel, do they want a, a luxury hotel but not the most expensive or do they just want a safe, clean place that's that's charming, but they want to spend more of their money on the the services. Um, so we get down to the budgets and all these things, and so every every itinerary is definitely um, for them and about them, but using our expertise. So we'll, you know, for example. Um, if they come, come to me and they want to go, you know, to a place, I tell them how many days and then I give them all the options for the days. Um, my favorite trips to plan, can I say three? Um, certainly. (laughs) I love planning Kenya. I love planning Kenya. Um, it's, uh, I just think that everyone should go to Kenya, uh, or anywhere in Africa, really. I mean, uh, uh, South Africa, Zambia, 
Botswana, Tanzania, um, Africa. I love planning Africa. I love planning South America, um, Peru, Patagonia is a good one. Um, and also um, Southeast Asia. Um, right now, I'm all about Laos. I, I, I love Laos. Very I nice. love Laos and Japan and um, Cambodia. The people in Cambodia are the nicest people you ever meet. Um, so, yeah, Italy. I, I'm actually intrigued because Dave and I have a mutual friend who went to Cambodia, I believe, last Christmas, Dave. I'm talking about uh, our dear friend Henry. Uh, and yeah. he just loved it and I've been in travel and tourism since I was a child and I, I never of course you know I'm probably dating myself but I still got Vietnam stuck in the back of my head because my dad went there and uh, you know when I hear people talking about going to Cambodia and Laos both and I see uh, they they just rave about the experience tell us a little bit about Cambodia but the thing is that you mentioned Vietnam and Vietnam is great but you feel more like you're in a communist country than when you're in Cambodia for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and then in Cambodia has had the hardest, God, they've had just the worst history. You know, they've just been through so much. And many of those people are still alive that have been through all of this. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I think hardship creates nice people. Is that weird? I mean, they're just, the nicest no. people, you know, um, I, I was in Siem Reap, which I love because it's a small, um, it's a small, kind of a small city, um, with a great, like open market, open area where all the restaurants are, um, big, beautiful trees and kind of wide dirt paths and, uh, lots of tuk-tuks and, um, beautiful Angkor Park. So I was in Siem Reap in this beautiful place, which I just love. I, I just, everyone that's going to Southeast Asia, I put at least four or five days there, you know? Um, so um, it, I was on the tuk-tuk and my hat blew off and the tuk-tuk driver gets off in the middle of the busy traffic and runs through traffic and grabs my hat. And I have a picture of him holding my hat with the biggest, smile you've ever seen you know and um just like like i have pictures um i had the butler on our our well not the butler but the guy that was in charge of our floor in the hotel and he made like a whole dictionary of camera awards for my kids because at the time when i was there they were probably maybe uh, 10 and 8 or something like that so he made a dictionary for my this guy works at the hotel just the smiliest happiest nicest guy everyone I met in Cambodia was just super sweet and and um, so this year I went uh, to Phnom Penh well I guess it was 2019 it's all mushing together um, late 2019 I went to uh, Phnom Penh and I was there for the light festival and where they put the lights on the boats and they go down the water. That was very pretty. And um, lots of new, uh, beautiful hotels in Phnom Penh. I was pleasantly surprised that that place is coming, you know, kind of coming up a little bit in the level of hotels. Um, 
so yeah, and then there's this great island in Cambodia. Um, I think it's called Songsa Island. Um, it's doing a really good job of taking care of the environment and taking care of of the people. Um, and it's it's a beautiful uh, private island with a resort on it. And I like to send people there for some water activities. And I also like that hotel because they support like 500 kids in all these little islands. And I, I like to send my clients where I know their money is doing good. So um, that island is one of my, my, my picks for uh, a company that is doing good for, you know, so we are giving back by spending our money there. Yeah. It, so it's yeah, it's a great country. And then Laos, um, Laos is just so beautiful. I mean, just these mountains and rivers, and all the life and the fun is happening on the river. And um, my favorite city in Laos is uh, Luang Prabang. And I just wanted to move there. I wish I had to move there then. I should have moved there then. Because when I was leaving, I'm like, I could spend a year here. And that was two months before COVID. I should have just gotten the first plane back. In fact, I had some clients that were on the plane to Vietnam. And by the way, Vietnam has done a great job of controlling COVID because they're a communist country, so they have a lot of abilities to control. So my clients, I felt sure they were going to be safe. They were on the way. It was early March. They were on their way to, um, I think, or late February. It's all a blur. Um, And they were on their way to Vietnam. And as they changed planes in Seoul, because Korea was having an uptick in COVID, Vietnam passed an ordinance that if you came in from Seoul, even if you just changed planes there, you were going to have to be quarantined. And so they got off the plane, and there's this big sign saying, if you're going into Vietnam, you're going to be quarantined. And they took a picture by it. Um, And then, so we we ended up sending them to Thailand. At the last minute, they called us at 4 in the morning. And um, so we said, okay, go to Thailand. And then I got up at 4 in the morning and redesigned their whole itinerary. And I had them go from Thailand on the river. So they went to um, Chiang Rai. And then they got this little boat. And they did a little boat to Luang Prabang on this beautiful river with mountains everywhere. And um, they, and they uh, stopped for a night at this nice place on the river. And they just enjoyed it. I mean, just really enjoyed a few slow days on the river. And then all the experiences Luang Prabang has um, with that cute town and, uh, you know, caves to explore and waterfalls. And uh, they have the most ethical elephant experience in Laos. It's the first one that do not have elephants tied up. Um, You're not riding them. You walk with them and they're free and you walk with them in the jungle. Um, So they did that. They hiked um, 
and then they hiked uh, to a community, and then they went to the waterfall. So it was a really fun trip, and we, that we 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 plugged in for them really quickly at four in the morning. Can you share some of your experiences in Kenya as well? Because we tend to see, you know, they show it on television here in the United States, and we tend to see more of the safari style travel. Um, I know that Kenya, for one, is one of the more developed countries in Africa, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya. Can you share some of your experiences in Kenya as well? The first thing I want to say is if you're one of those travel-addicted people that are dying to go somewhere, Kenya is opening up in August. And this would be somewhere, because I'm, I'm really kind of worried about where am I sending people, you know, because I don't want anything to happen. Right. Kenya would be one of the first places I would think I would want people to go, because once you get there, as long as you wear your mask the whole time, social distance, do it right. Once you get there, you can take a small plane. So, you know, it could be just a couple of people on your plane to a lodge, or we can do a private car that takes you to a lodge. And then you will be in these tents that are very well separated from anyone. And most of the tented camps don't have more than 20 to 30 tents. Most of them are small. Some of them even have 10 tents or 12 tents or 15 tents. So, and each of the tents is really well separated. You're not taking elevators. You're dining outside. Um, So, you know, you know, in small Jeeps outside, the Jeeps are open. I mean, I just think this is the safest trip to do this year. And then, the people in Kenya are just wonderful. Um, my favorite community that, of people that I met are in Samburu, which a lot of people miss. It's not on every itinerary, but I put it on all mine because I, I adore these people in Samburu. Have you ever seen um, uh, the, where they do like a jumping dance? And they're yes. really tall yes. guys. Yes. And yes. they have this stick and they do a jumping dance. That's them. They're, and so, and when we arrived, they were just, the whole community came out. They were so smiley. Um, they taught us this jumping dance. Just, just the nicest, most colorful, sweet people. Um, I met, um, I mean, I've met a lot of beautiful people in Africa. <laughs> but for some reason, these guys just touched my heart, you know? You know when the smile comes from, like, the heart from the inside and you could just see their heart coming out all over their faces? You know, it was like that. So, um, and then Samburu also has different kinds of animals than anywhere else in Kenya. Um, so, for example, their giraffe has a different different design on it than any other giraffe. <laughs> you know, I mean, just it's unique. Everything is unique. <laughs> the, um, the little impala thinks it's a giraffe and it stands up to eat. It, the zebra's got a different uh, shape on it. So that's really great. And then there's a park called Ambuseli that I like to send people to because even though it's in Kenya and, and Mount Kilimanjaro is in Tanzania, it has the view of Mount Kilimanjaro. So it's really great to go there and see, you know, the 
elephants and the animals wandering with the backdrop of Mount Kilimanjaro. So that's one. Uh, there's all these great private conservancies that are doing like great things. Um, and some of them have like great family tents. Um, I think it's uh, Lewa that has like great family tents. So I, you know, for, if it's a family, I want to get them like into something like that. Um, and then I love the Maasai Mara. Um, so the Maasai Mara is the Serengeti on the Kenya side. And there's a river that flows through it, and that's the river that the wildebeest, um, what are they, alligators, or uh, came in, I get confused. <laughs> I think it's the alligators. Well, like, like grab them, and the zebras and the, and the um, wildebeest. And so then this is then they're, you're watching an alligator eat this big animal, and it's just this big wow. show, and people like it. Yeah, and people like it. Um, and the the tent the camps are open, so they're not they're not um, fenced. And I I like that because I saw an elephant get stuck in the fence once, you know. So I don't think the fences work anyway. So um, the so that the camps are open. Most of the camps are open, or the ones that I like are open. And then so you'll always see animals, and you never know what you're going to see um, going through your camp. Um, one time, and they have rules and I always, you know, talk to parents that are taking kids and I'm like, do your kids listen to rules? You know, do you, you need to talk to them? Cause you know, in Africa, if you don't listen to a rule, that could be a matter of life or death. You know, we were in this tented camp and one of the rules is don't leave your tent at night. If you need help, you're supposed to take your flashlight and flash it, and um, and then somebody will come. Um, so we just can feel and hear this animal just, like, rubbing up against our tent, you know? Mm. And um, only in the morning did we find out that it was um, a wildebeest. Oh, okay. Wow. No, it was a water buffalo. It was a water buffalo. In, mm. in other words, it was just a big animal, okay? It was a big animal. <laughs> um, touching on Kenya for a minute, what's the best time of year, in your opinion, to go to Kenya? And second and more importantly, from a logistical standpoint, how far in advance do you need to plan a really good trip to Kenya or anywhere? I mean, you do a lot of exotic travel, as you mentioned, or a lot of exotic destinations, as you mentioned earlier. How, how much time do you need to get something put together like this? It depends on when you're going. Um, so Christmas is a good time to go to Kenya. Um, the summertime is a good time to go. If you're going during when the wildebeests are doing their migration, and that kind of changes slightly, um, then um, you need to book well in advance if you want to get into the right place to see that. Um, if you are going at Christmas, you need to book well in advance. And there's this one hotel in Nairobi that I love called Giraffe Manor. And if you want to book that, you need to do it well in advance. If it's outside of those times, then may and and you're a smaller group, like maybe you're a group of two, 
you know, um, then you can book it uh, a little more last minute. I mean, we could do it like a month or two or three weeks in advance, you know. In fact, my guys that went to Laos decided that they didn't want to go home. And so they went from Laos to Kenya really? and at the last minute. Wow. And, um, That's a journey. and so like I saw and I, yeah, I did that like in two or three days ahead of when they were getting there. But I don't, I don't suggest you do that. Like that's not the ideal way to do it. You want to do it at least a month, but um, Kenya, once it gets going again, it does book up. So six months would be ideal and unless you're doing one of those high demand places and then you could do up to a year in advance. What are some of the common questions that you get from your clients? And are you more uh, geared towards the Airbnb style where you are literally with the local, you're having that local experience, or is it more in the touristy area where they say in the traditional high-end hotels? Well, I don't do Airbnb at, at all. I like places that I have inspected um, that I I know the managers, you know, um, that I have um, the personal relationships with because I'll write to every single place and say, hey, Mike, VIP is coming. What can you do? How can right. you make them special? Can you upgrade them? You know, so I and I don't like Airbnb because I don't it's just, I don't have enough control, you know. Right. Um, and one of the things about booking with a tour operator is if somebody doesn't treat my client nicely, I don't send them my clients back to that place. So right. that it's, it's this relationship and people want our business because we do a lot of business to these countries. We're a great, you know, person to know, you know, we're a great company to know. And so people want to make our clients happy. So, um, I always do that. And, um, so, and then, uh, so we work with budget. So most of our clients are five star clients, but I like small properties and I like if the property is locally owned. I do sell some change, you know, there's some great change that I love like Belmont and, um, uh, sanctuary retreats, you know, but if I can find a local place that's just as good, um, I'll usually go with a local place first. Um, I mentioned at the top and during your introduction that you do some girl strips. And the reason I am asking you this question is because my mother's doctor hit me up probably three or four years ago. And she was all ecstatic about just going with the girls and they were going to Italy in this particular case. But I know that girls only travel um, is, is kind of a specialty within the travel and tourism space. Tell us the, the types of girls trips you put together and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of women that like to travel together and they like to do um, all these destinations that we sell. Um, I have uh, a couple of ladies that are going to do um, Bol Bolivia and they're going to do the uh, a uni salt flats and we're going to send them in to stay in a yurt in the middle of the salt flat. 
Um, and then they're going to Paraguay because this is this is one of my travel addicts, and they want to hit every country. And Paraguay is the only one in South, and Bolivia is the only one in South America they haven't done yet. So um, that's a good example. Um, I had a group of ladies do um, three countries in South America, and um, so uh, and um, we did Brazil and Chile and Argentina for them. Um, just about any any country and then a lot of girls like to do like beach retreats with a yoga teacher and um maybe a meditation teacher um so i've done those um but my specialty is boys trips really why that begs the question i, I need maybe to know why <laughs> maybe that's not in my bio but i actually one of my classes that I, I put into my travel school is why why you should sell boys trips. And what I found, and I'm probably going to get some heat for this, but men will spend more money than their wives do. Like they, they'll spend more money uh, and they, they're like to do all this adventurous stuff. That's fun for me to plan. Um, so I did like a trip to, <laughs> <laughs> I did a trip to South Africa for a group of guys, and they are um, they're in a group of people who um, they help each other in business. The accountability group, that's what it's called. Um, so they're an accountability group, and they like to do these fun things together. And then while they're traveling, like let's say I have a two-hour bus trip, they'll go through their goals and their their uh, their pillars and how they're reaching their pillars, and they'll do that on the bus, you know. So in South Africa, I had them land, and they went straight to hit a golf ball off the highest mountain – uh, off this high mountain into the par three. You know? It was the highest, I think it's the highest par three in the world. You have to take a helicopter up, you hit the ball, and then the helicopter down to finish your round. And um, so they did that, and then they went to a, a safari lodge, um, and we did walking with um, walking safari. And then they went to um, Zambia. They went to Victoria Falls, and they did the micro flight over the falls, which is kind of like you're hanging out there with wings. Um, and then they did fishing in the Zambezi River. They did river rafting. Um, so all these, like, fun adventures. And then they went to Cape Town, and we did diving with the sharks and hiking table mountain and so it's really really fun for me to plan these um and they don't mind you know spending spending more money than the girls do because i when i do the girls trips are like i can't spend three thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> and the men will spend eight to ten you know so it's it's a really good um you know, it's a really good niche for me, and I, I really enjoy doing it, and they, and they appreciate my time, so that's really, really great. And uh, But lots of fun to plan guys' trips. We don't specialize in a lot of numbers. We specialize in, in better quality, smaller numbers. Right. Um, so I would say, and then sometimes it's big groups, and then sometimes it's only two people or one person, you know? Um, so, but I would say at any given time, we have 40 sets of people out somewhere. 
Give us some positive, forward-looking news. Let's pretend we're in a post-COVID world. What should we be doing? Let's just get out and go. Give us that that rah-rah speech at the end where you're saying, go. Well, just go out there and make a difference, you know? Um, Vote with your dollars. Help people with your dollars. Go to small um, properties. Go see the nature. Go Go to a nature lodge that's saving uh, a rainforest, you know, that's saving a community, um, you know, um, and vote with your dollars, have fun, get in nature. Um, you only live once, go dancing, go dancing, you know, um, you know, go do karaoke, go singing, you know, whatever makes you happy, you know, because that's what it's all about. I mean, every day is a precious gift to be alive and, you know, when you're out there, just, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, use a tour operator. There won't be any problems. And just, you know, enjoy yourself and give back with your money and uh, have fun. Nice. Monica, tell our listeners where they can find out more about your company and how they can uh, you know, possibly work with you to set up their own tours. So it's yampu.com, Y-A-M. PU.com. And we have so many ways to reach us. You can chat with us. You can email us. You can fill out a form. You can call us. Um, and we're here for you. Yeah. I'm Monica Rowski Experiences on Instagram. You can also reach me that way. Monica, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I know that uh, your time is precious and we really w- do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to help us out and to hopefully we'll uh, get you some new clients as well. All right. Thank you. It was really fun talking to you guys. You guys are great hosts. <laughs> thank you, Monica. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Monica. And by the way, thank you for mentioning your last name. That saved me from having to do it in the closing. Irowski, <laughs> uh, right? Monica? Irowski, you're great. You're right. doing Monica Irowski. We have been speaking with Monica Irowski from Yampu Tours, and uh, uh, we will have all this information connected on our website and in the write up uh, of our. Our, uh, podcast today. Monica, again, thank you. Thank you.